Sometimes as a human being, we have a desire of knowing what our heritage is. And some have done genealogy work, and there's all kinds of information available, different things you could do, and so on and so forth. At one time, I did some tracing on mine, and I got back to when they came over from Scotland. And then I pushed it back a few more years since then. But one of the things about the physical thing is there are some things in your background that maybe you really don't want to follow. Uh, mine come from a Scottish background, and several years back, uh, one of my nieces was getting married, and um, they were talking about wearing kilts for the wedding. Yeah, I know one did that. Uh, but I'm glad they decided not to. But it's just one of those things. The other part is on the spiritual side, isn't there a similar desire wanting to know our heritage? Where do we come from? What are some of the characteristics that distinguish us? And this is kind of the thought that uh, comes in what the writer of the Hebrews is saying and some of the songs we've been singing about our great Jehovah and recognizing here we're just a strained pilgrim and there's a land that's far greater than what we have here. And as much as I may enjoy doing the genealogy on the earthly side, the genealogy on the spiritual side is far greater. Don't have to trace all the way back through the human history. All we have to do is go back to the Gospels, read of Jesus, his leaving heaven, coming to this earth, living his life here, dying, returning back to the Father, and then telling us, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and I will come again to receive you into myself, that where I am there you may be also. And it's interesting as you read through the letters that he's left for us. And then in the human realm as well, it's always interesting to read some of those letters. And sometimes it's not interesting to read some of those letters. I've heard several talk about they don't want to trace the family tree because they've probably got too many horse thieves on it uh, at one time or another. But the spiritual tree... What a beauty that is. We're given the history of several of those in the scriptures. Remind us to us, as we looked a little bit this morning in, in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, for us to have that hope of heaven, for us to see that as our eternal abode, and that desire for us to want to be there, there has to be this reminder that we find in Hebrews 11. There has to be that reminder that if that is the case, then we need to understand that we're just pilgrims here. We're just passing through. And for those who have done traveling, you understand that concept. As a pilgrim, as a stranger in, in another country, you're careful about what you do and how you live. You're constantly reminded of who you are. Years ago, there was a book written out called The Ugly Americans. 
about how Americans react as they sometimes go overseas. And ours as a Christian is a reflection of the country from which we're longing to go that we haven't seen, but we're a citizen of heaven. And there's a life that is to be lived that is to be reflective of that country from which we are striving to, to return or to go to. And the scriptures give us that admonition throughout it to understand that who we are, to understand that we are disciples, that we are learners of Christ, of God and his will. We're called to be saints. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart people, taking that which is common, the physical, setting it apart for the spiritual realm of God and striving to live a life along that line. We're called to be believers, that we believe in God, that we believe in his word, that there's not a doubt in our lives as to what he has done, what he is doing, and most definitely what he shall do for those who follow him one day. Now we're called Christians to be Christ-like in a life that we live, to strive to have that imitation within our life. And again, that's a lifetime challenge for us. We got Philippians 2, 5 through 11 to remind us of some of those qualities that are there, of reminding ourselves that God or Christ does not think equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to, but was willing to empty himself. And that's one of the key phrases, and that to empty ourselves and to take on the form of a servant and to be obedient to the point of death, yea, even death on the cross. And then to live that lifestyle. Jesus saying, I came to do my Father's will. My meat is to do his works and his will, to do the things that are pleasing in his sight. The, the, works that I, the words that I speak are not my words. They're the words that the Father gave to me for me to speak. And these are to be characteristics that we're striving to have within our life. And that collectively, collectively we're called the church, the called out assembly called out of the world, called to be saints, called to be God's people, that we're to be those that would be pleasing within his sight. We understand that we are the congregation, the called out that belongs to God, that belongs to Christ, that it is the body of Christ that we are, individually and collectively. Our body is the body of Christ, and our, collectively we are the body of Christ. Different lifestyles that we get to live. Again, as we travel, even in the physical realm, we're often reminded we don't do it as much in maybe in our generations now as we did in previous generations. Oftentimes, as children, when we left the, left the house, we were often told, remember whose name you wear. Some of you may not have heard of that. Some of us did for some reason or another. Because uh, Mama didn't like to get telephone calls, uh, <clears throat> particularly when you're on an eight-party line. And everybody on that party line gets to listen in to what their little darling boy did. Uh, <clears throat> remember whose name you wear. You wear the name of God. You wear the name of Christ. Let that life strive to be reflective of that name that you wear. We are also called the temple of God. 
That's the place of worship. That's something that is dedicated to God. Again, taking that which is common and setting it apart for a specific purpose. Ours is to offer praise unto God. And it's interesting, again, in our country even today, as it is to look around the world and see the individuals, if you will, or the objects that are chosen by individuals to worship, to bow down and to, to pray to, to seek counsel from. And the scripture addresses that so many times. Isaiah did it, and he did a beautiful job on, on that. He talks about a, he said, I'm being a little sarcastic, he's saying, but I, I don't understand what you're doing. Isaiah says, you go out into the forest and you cut a tree down and you cut the tree in half. Now out of half of the tree, you make a God that you're going to bow down and worship. And the other half of the tree you cut up and you use for firewood. He said, my, my question is, what are you doing? Are you worshiping your firewood or are you burning your God? What are you doing? Do you not see the foolishness in that? And that need for us to remember whose temple we are. We're the temple of the living God. There's a life that is to be reflective of that as we live day by day. We're also called the family of God. And family, again, are to stick together. But there's that concept of cohesiveness, that love of God that ties and binds us together. And to be reflective again is the reason being is that we are strangers. And we are pilgrims here on this earth. We're just passing through. And this world is not our home. Jesus in his prayer to the Father in John 17, as he talks about his disciples, he says, Father, keep them. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. And that's a reminder to us. We're in this world, and it doesn't take long to look around and see the world as it is, to catch a glimpse of what they're doing, but to realize that that's not us. We can get caught up in it, but that's not us. We're not of the world. The things that they seek are not the things that we seek. And again, the, the world doesn't fully understand that. And again, they're always trying to get you to compromise. It's always that temptation on either side, if you will, that when there's a struggle, or where there's an uncomfortable feeling with one another. Something's got to give. You know, the world wants you to be more like them, and we're trying to get the world to be more like us. But there has to be that change that takes place. And we're constantly reminded through the Scriptures, and, and again, Hebrews 11 and other passages, listen, we're just passing through. We mentioned this morning, we're just a, a city, not made with hands, the eternal in the heavens. City that God has made. And this is the city that we belong to. And so we strive to change the life as we
go through this life and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. We can understand that concept again of, as Peter would describe in First Peter 1 and 1, we're pilgrims of the dispersion. And to, to catch a little bit of that background, if you will, you have to go a little bit back into Israel's history. Back to the Assyrian and the Babylonian captivities. When they, the Jews were dispersed, they were scattered abroad. And we're the pilgrims of that dispersion. But it has a reference for Christians as well. Those Jews were not at home. In the physical sense, some of them never did go home. Daniel, for example, more than likely never did return home after the Babylonian captivity. But they always saw themselves as different, distinct. The King James says, peculiar. You are a peculiar people. And if you've been around any of us long enough, you know that's true. We are a peculiar people. But we have a different mindset that the world doesn't see. And the scriptures would constantly remind us, do not follow the things that the world follows. John talks about it in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Love not the world nor the things in the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from God, but are from the world. And the world and its lust are passing away. Don't pursue those things that are short-term. And again, it does, it does not take long for us to realize that in the physical realm, does it? The things that we desire at one age, we no longer desire. They, the things have changed. The world knows that. You know, how many times, are, I mean, are, how many ads are out there for the new and improved, the newest edition of whatever it may be, be it iPhone 10 or be it the two, 2018 cars? It doesn't matter what it is. It's the latest gadget. It's the latest thing. It has all the technology in it. And again, as time unfolds, how long is it going to be before the 2018 car is going to be so outdated? Because you're going to have automated cars if we ever get that far. I don't know we will or not. You just get into it, you punch in the computer where you want to go, and then it takes you there. And you just sit there. Uh, all the technology, but it's all, it's all temporary. It all fades away. We all have our expectation as what is there. And we need to be careful. That we, don't not get, that we do not get caught up in a lot of that. Because it's only things. It's only temporary. And those in Hebrews, Hebrew, in Hebrews 11 are, are being reminded of that. Don't let those things catch you. As it did some of those in the world. Don't let the, the thing of the world take a priority in your life. Don't be like Esau. When you think about it, Esau being willing to sell his birthright, his right to the inheritance for a bowl of porridge. Is it worth it? 
The physical has a strong attraction, does it not? If you're hungry, you want to eat. And when you get really get hungry, you really want to eat. And if you get really, really hungry, you eat some things you didn't think you would eat. But are you willing to forsake heaven to satisfy the earthly desires? It's to take stock. It's to reflect. The scriptures are trying to remind us of that. You're a pilgrim. You're a stranger. You look different. You sound different. And you have a different perspective on things. It's amazing how close the world wants to get to being really ungodly without being really ungodly. You listen to commercials nowadays and how they use phrases to substitute words that, yeah, I know what that word is supposed to be. Sometimes you watch a movie and there's been times when I've watched movies on television and I've Heard the uncut version. I said, whoa, wait. Don't need that one anymore. Don't like the language. But how they use words. They may not be sound identically, but you know what they're, what they're trying to say. And we got that going on all the time. And a Christian is not caught up in it. The language is different. The language is not one of tearing down, but it's the language of building up. It's a language of trying to encourage along the way because we're striving for a city that is not here. So we encourage one another as we travel through. For those who have traveled abroad, it's always nice when you have somebody who speaks the same language as you do to kind of go along with. It's always nice when you've got somebody who speaks the language of, that, of the country that you're in. But it's always nice when you have company. God knows that. Satan knows that. That we need company. So we have associations. And so we get to choose, though, who the association is. And who we choose to fellowship with. The things that we have in the world that we get to, uh, have to deal with. But when it comes to choosing who we want to spend the time with, we want one of like precious faith. We want somebody to encourage us and to, at times, to admonish us. Keep your perspective where it needs to be. Realize, the, again, the brevity of this time and the fact that we're moving on towards eternity and that we do not want to get bogged down in the things of this world Recognize that we are a, a holy nation. That we are elect people. That concept, we have to see both sides of it, but it, it's, it's a concept that we need to think about. We are the elect of God. But the reason that we are the elect of God it's because we have chosen to become the elect of God. 
That opportunity is not limited to a few. I'm the elect of God and you're not, so I'm better off than you are. The opportunity is open to everyone. But the fact that you are the elect of God, that, that concept that God cared enough about you that he took care of what you could not take care of and that he chooses as a result of that to be called your father and to be called your God. Then in verse 16 of Hebrews 11, that he's not ashamed to be called their God. We are his people. But as that elect of God, again, there is that lifestyle we do it in the physical realm as we raise children. You know, none of you have ever heard, and I know none of you ever said, well, everybody's doing it, whatever that may have been. And again, you hear it as a child, and you say, I'm not going to do that when I become older and become a parent, and yes, you end up doing that. You know, if all the children are going to run off the cliff, are you going to join them? Uh, you know, everybody's doing it. Well, find out everybody is not doing it. And sometimes it's a struggle with us. You've been elected by God to be his people. Reflect that in the life that you live. That makes you a pilgrim and a stranger here. Makes you not at home. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And again, physically, we have our preferences. But again, actuality doesn't make that much difference. You know, there's some places I would rather not choose to go and live. I said I worked through half of the M states. I don't like Montana and Minnesota. And I don't like Maine and Massachusetts. Those are the four I haven't lived in. Uh, so that's why I chose to work through the T's. I already lived in Tennessee when I went to school there, and now I've got Texas that takes care of the T's. Uh, that's fine. But I'm just saying, in actuality, does it make any difference where I live? What makes the difference is how I live. Not where, but how. Do I live as a child of God that is just passing through this world? And as a result, am I trying to encourage others to follow and to remain as his children and then to reach out to those who also are without hope along the way? And it's a journey. This life is just a journey. We're just passing through. We had a beginning of days. We're going to have an end of days. And then it's eternity. And so you just make the journey. You do not stop along the way. And oftentimes we will find that we do things as the early pilgrims did or as they traveled from the east to the west. And oftentimes they say you could find the road that they, or the trail that they traveled by all the stuff they left behind. I mean, they may have loaded that wagon down to the hilt and the farther they went west, the lighter the, lighter the wagon became. 
They didn't need all what they thought they needed. And oftentimes they lost everything that they brought out. But it's the life, is it not, that matters. It's not what we accumulate. It's the life we live. You're the elect of God. You're a holy nation. You are the people of God. Again, that characteristic. How do you reflect that as you live day by day? You are the people of God. You know, uh, do the research, and I think I found the, uh, the pattern for the McElwain kilt. I'm not inclined to buy it yet, and I'm not, because if I buy it, I'd have to make one. If I make one, then I have to wear it, and I don't want to do that. Uh, but if you saw the kilts, each kilt is of a different pattern for different clans. So you could tell the clans by the, the kilts. How about spiritually? Are we noted by how we present ourselves? That you're a child of God. That you see yourself different in that, in that sense. That you may not have on anything on the physical outside that says you're a child of God. You don't have a little mark on your forehead or whatever else, but there's a characteristic that's different in the child of God. Is that reflective in our life so that we can strive to move on and do the things that God would have us to do. But to be reminded of our true home. Encourage each other in where our true home is. Strive to help each other to achieve that true home within our life. Why do you wait? The song has, Dear Sinner, why do you wait? Why do you tarry so long? Your Savior is waiting to give you a place in this sanctified throne. But the question, or the question also applies to us as Christians. Why do we wait from doing God's will? Why do we tarry so long? The Savior is waiting to bless you and to give you a place in this sanctified throne. Why do we wait? God only desires to bless, to enrich, and to encourage us to strive towards that heavenly home. Ours is to listen to the voice of the Master, listen to the voice of the Savior, and make those changes while there's opportunity to do such. So as we sing the invitation song, as you reflect upon your soul's condition. If you need to make a change, if we could assist you, if we could help you, then indeed we bid you to come as together.